Good morning and welcome to the 7am Bible. This is Paul Chapman and this is episode number 22 of Daily Bible Studies for Busy People. Start the day right with food for the soul and this is what we're doing. We're going through the life of Jacob and this is our fifth week. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy to us. We thank you for waking us to a brand new day, refreshed, and we pray now as we open your word, your Holy Spirit will guide us in its understanding and that we can take from it something to meet our soul's need for this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we've been going through the life of Jacob. As I mentioned in our last episode, we considered the reason Jacob called the place where he slept that first night on the run Bethel, the house of God. In a brief dream, God found Jacob, and Jacob found God. Assured now of God's forgiveness and presence, Jacob made his way to Mesopotamia in search of love. As a suitor, he had no provisions of his own to offer a prospective wife, but with renewed faith and a firm confidence in the promises of God, he offered himself. Let's read about it. You'll remember from yesterday's episode that Jacob had come to a well where shepherds were waiting to water their sheep. They were from Haran and knew Laban, Jacob's uncle and brother of Rebekah. They also knew his shepherdess daughter, Rachel. They had told Jacob Rachel was about to come by the well to water her sheep. So let's read what happens. I'm reading from Genesis 29 and verses 9 through to verse 14. I'll just read verses 9 and 10 first here. And while he yet spake with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she kept them. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. You know, 100 years before, Eliezer had stopped beside a well near Haran in search of a wife for Isaac. At that time, you'll remember from episode 1, Rebekah came and drew water from the well for Eliezer and his camels. Now her son, Jacob, renders service. It's almost like history repeats itself, just in a reciprocal way here. Now, some might wonder why Rachel was out there looking after the sheep. Well, in ancient Israel, in case you're wondering, it was usual for young unmarried women to work outside the home. I was reading one uh, reference on this and it said that when a girl was 8 or 10 years old, she began leading the family herd out to nearby pasture. As a shepherdess, she would look after the sheep all day, pasturing the flocks, watering and watching them, tending to minor injuries, and then at nightfall, she would bring the herd back home to shelter. Now this job of looking after the family herd was reserved primarily for the girls in the family. And they continued this work until married, usually around the age of 15 or 16. Now, a couple of other examples of shepherdesses in the Bible are, you'll remember, I don't know if you've read it there, but Moses' wife, Zipporah, and her six sisters. In Exodus uh, chapter 2, verses 16 to 21. And you also remember Shulamite, the woman in uh, Solomon's ancient love poem. In the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, he refers to her as being dark-skinned from a life outdoors, tending the vineyard and caring for her flock of goats. So it was not unusual then for Rachel to be here, out there, herding the sheep of her, of her father. Now, watering those sheep, on the other hand, is not an easy job. It's done twice a day, and it's a work of time and labor. 
So when Jacob offered to do this for uh, Rachel, it was not an insignificant service on his part, and he did it voluntarily. Now Rachel, not knowing who Jacob was, accepted the act of kindness done on the part of a stranger. When Jacob had finished the job, he greeted her with a kiss and lifted up his voice and wept. That's what the um, uh, Bible says here. In Genesis chapter 29, verses 11, Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. You see, men in the Bible were not afraid to show their emotions. I don't think we should be either. Now, verse 12 goes on to say, And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's brother and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. You know, the Bible often uses the expression lifted up his voice in connection with a person who is overcome with emotion, either grief or in Jacob's case, great joy, followed by weeping. Esau lifted up his voice, you remember, and wept over the loss of the birthright blessing. His tears were tears of bitterness. On the other hand, Jacob's tears here were tears of joy. No doubt from a sense of the goodness of his heavenly father in bringing him safely to his mother's family. And here the remembrance of his home and the relationship of his mother to Rachel must have overpowered him with emotion. I'm reading uh, from verses 13 and 14. And it came to pass when Laban heard the tidings of Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And he, that's Jacob, told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely thou art my bone and my flesh. And he abode with him the space of a month. Laban, Jacob's uncle, repeated the same expressions of kindness and pure affection that Jacob had shown to Rachel. Laban welcomed Jacob, calling him his own bone and flesh. That's another way of saying, you are one of my nearest relatives. Jacob stayed as a guest of Laban for a month, but he did not treat it as a holiday. He worked, and Laban noticed how good he was. You see, while the daughters of the family were shepherdesses, Jacob was a sheep herder. Sheep herders were responsible for many herds, and not just their own families. I read that sometimes the herds would number up to 200,000 animals. Jacob had experience and skill in doing this kind of work, and he was diligent and faithful in the job. Laban could see that. And so we read here in Genesis 29 verse 15, And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother... Shouldest thou therefore serve me for naught? Tell me what shall thy wages be? Now here was where the story becomes interesting. Laban was obviously a keen business person and could judge a good worker. And so rather than send him home, Laban takes advantage of the opportunity and offers Jacob a job. And so he doesn't look like he's giving preferential treatment to Jacob because he's his uncle. Laban offers to pay Jacob as a hired servant for that work. So the, so the negotiations now begin over wages. I'm reading from verse uh, 16. And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favoured. You see, Leah was the eldest of Laban's daughters, but tender-eyed. I was looking to see what that meant. You know, the word for tender in the Hebrew language suggests that her eyes were weak or dull, perhaps not as attractive as her sisters. 
In contrast to Leah, Rachel was beautiful and well-favoured. Let's read it in verse 18 and 19. It says here now, the reaction of Jacob. It says, Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee than that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. Jacob was smitten with Rachel. He offered to work for seven years for her hand in marriage. Let me share on this from Ellen White in her book, uh, Spiritual Gifts, Volume 3. And I'm reading from page 119 over to page 120. Now, uh, this is just to show that how this custom worked in ancient times. I want to read this here. It was uh, This is about the negotiation and, and, and Jacob's willingness to work for a certain period of time to uh, gain a wife. It was customary, it says here, anciently for the bridegroom to pay a sum of money according to his circumstances to the father of his wife. If he had no money or anything of value, his labor was accepted for a stated length of time before he could obtain the daughter as his wife. This custom was considered a safeguard to the marriage contract. Fathers did not consider it safe to trust the happiness of their daughters to men who had not made sufficient provisions to take care of a family. If they had not ability to manage business, to acquire cattle or lands, they were afraid that their lives would be worthless. But that the truly worthy should not become discouraged, a provision was made to test the worth of those who had nothing of value to pay for a wife. They were permitted to labor for the father whose daughter they loved. Their labors were engaged for a certain length of time, regulated by the value of the dowry required for their daughter. In doing this, marriages were not hasty, and there was opportunity to test the depth of the affections of the suitor. If he was faithful in his services and was otherwise considered worthy, the daughter was given him as his wife, and generally all the dowry the father had received was given to his daughter at her marriage. Now, as I mentioned, Jacob, having nothing but himself to give, gave everything for Rachel. And he was a skillful herder and became, a great, uh, became of um, great worth to Laban. I think there's a lesson here for young men and women today. Not many young men today would wait that long for a woman they loved. As I mentioned in a previous episode, most couples today leave their parents' household and sleep together before they marry. In Australia, that's about 80% of marrying couples. But this is not God's way. The try-before-you-buy mentality is foreign to God's plan for marriage. You see, marriage involves a commitment to be faithful to one person for life. You know, some years ago I was talking to a young man who was living together with his girlfriend. I asked him about his plans for marriage. He said, well, what's the point of that? We're married anyway, aren't we? I said, well, you know, marriage means really a commitment for life to the person you're with. Are you ready to make that kind of commitment? He thought for a moment and said, no, I don't think so. He recognized he was not ready to make that kind of commitment. He was in a relationship of convenience. I think a lot of people shy away from that commitment because either they're scared that they might make a mistake in their choice and that things may not work out, or they're just too impatient to wait for the right one. You know, the book of Hebrews highlights the reality for many of us on this point. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36, it says this, For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. 
You see, doing the will of God requires patience. But the assurance is, we will be blessed with receiving his promise. Jacob was learning that lesson. God had promised Jacob a wife, and he was prepared to wait and work for her. In doing so, both he and Rachel were developing character. You see, patience precedes godliness in Peter's list of progressive virtues. Let's have a read of it here. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, he says, To knowledge add temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. Which is, as you've been listening along in these episodes, godliness really means uh, godly living. That's living a righteous life, a life in obedience to God. And patience will be a hallmark of that life. It's one of the hallmarks of a Christian. You know, John, the Apostle John, was shown God's people in the last days. And he's shown them in vision here in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12, as a people who are marked by their patience. It says here, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And James encourages us to let, in James chapter 1 verse 4, to let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting in nothing. Now, you know, the Bible doesn't say how old Rachel was when she met Jacob, but Jacob was at least 57 years old. He was a mature man, but he was prepared to wait and work for seven years to receive her. And God blessed him for it. And when we follow his plan for marriage as in life, God will bless us too. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this meditation this morning. We thank you for this uh, encouraging story here that reminds us of um, the uh, willingness that we should have to be patient as you work out your plan for our lives, to be diligent as well as Jacob was in our work as we approach our work today. Help us to be faithful in all that we do, that we can be blessed by you and that you can fulfill your plan for us in our life today. So we pray this and thank you in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to the 7am Bible. This has been Paul Chapman. I hope you've enjoyed the meditation this morning. And uh, wherever you are today, remember, wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, be prayerful, be careful, and have a great day. And I look forward to seeing you again for the next episode of the 7am Bible. To finish off, I've got a song here from a very good friend of mine. Uh, His name is Damien Blewett, and this was a song that he wrote himself about the sufferings of Christ. It's a ballad, and I hope you enjoy it as we close off this morning. Lost to be here, all alone they know not what they're doing. Them, it's not clear that I'm dying to save them from ruin. I pray they'll believe and one day understand what I'm giving. But now I'm alone, betrayed, and so sad that they may be forgiven. Look what I did there for thee Look at me beaten and crushed on my knees Look what I did there for thee All of my tears 
tears and my blood that I sacrificed for you. Though so many fears had me wanting to escape the going through. Why can't you believe me though I was so honest here with you? And how can you say that you sinned when you felt that you had to? Look what I did there for thee Torn, hit and beaten and nailed to a tree Look what I did there for thee Look what he did there for 